This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There are many reasons for rejoicing today, but one of them is that I rejoice in your hospitality. I'm Alice McKenzie. I teach preaching at Perkins School of Theology and direct the Center for Preaching Excellence that is partnering with your wonderful congregation in the Arklatech Lectures. This is now year number three, and you make possible, with the vision of your pastor Brad, you make possible this annual event that draws a premier scholar in the field of preaching, a premier teacher to the congregation to preach this morning and then tomorrow to have a group of clergy come and hear that person's lecture, and then a group of what we call the Arklatech Fellows, eight to ten invited pastors will then work with that person through the next year in honing their skills at the important art of preaching. This year, we have the honor of welcoming Dr. Paul Scott Wilson to the Arklatech Lectureship. Dr. Wilson is the professor of homiletics at Emmanuel College at the University of Toronto. He is a, a respected author and teacher. It, in, um, in his job there as teaching preaching, he works with pastors, helping them improve their preaching, and also graduate students who then go out to help others learn to teach preaching. Not only is he a, um, a master teacher, he has also written a, a number of things that are just very helpful for preachers, very clear and incisive. And a theme is, let's keep God at the center. Let's keep God at the center of our preaching. Not only is he a, a teacher and, and a, um, a scholar, but he also often fills pulpits and uh, is a preacher in local congregations. He is an ordained uh, pastor in the United Church of Canada. He and his wife, Deanna, both, and they have three grown sons and uh, two granddaughters. And when I spoke to him last, he uh, was playing Monopoly with his granddaughters, and I'm not sure who was winning, but I think he was buying up some boardwalk properties. <laughs> so we are very honored to have him with us today. You know, you can look at a resume and find out a lot about a person, but then you meet a person, and I remember the first time that I met Paul Scott Wilson years ago, I was a graduate student and I had gone for the first time to a professional meeting. Maybe some of you know what it's like to be the, the one on the fringes at a, a meeting where everyone knows each other. And I was there and I was working on a dissertation on preaching Proverbs, which nobody really found interesting but me at the time. And, and maybe not now, but, um, but I remember standing on the fringes uh, looking at all these people, uh, and many of them were esteemed scholars who had written the books that we were studying in class. And I was awed and felt, you know, kind of like an outsider until at the break, this gentleman walked up to me and introduced himself. He said, I'm Dr. Paul Scott Wilson. What is your name and what are you working on? And he actually showed interest in my dissertation topic and offered me encouragement that, that meant the world to me and has continued to support and encourage uh, me uh, throughout the years. So today it is uh, an honor and privilege to present to you um, my friend and colleague, Dr. Paul Scott Wilson as our third Arklatech lecturer. Will you greet him? Thank you very much, Alice. Those are kind and generous words. Will you pray with me? Oh, gracious and loving God, as we open your word, we pray that you will speak to us, 
and empower us with your Holy Spirit for the ministries that you set before us. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, it's perhaps appropriate to have somebody from another country preaching on World Communion Sunday. I bring you greetings from the United Church of Canada, which is your sister denomination. Most of uh, when the United Church of Canada was formed, it was 65% uh, Methodist. It's all, and our Methodist roots go deep. It's wonderful to be with you. You are also my family, I discover, through being brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and it's wonderful to be in Texarkana. It's, it's a beautiful community. It really is. It's, uh, I'm so impressed with, with, uh, with all of the facilities that you have. It's, it's a lovely place to be and certainly a nice place to visit. Thank you for the uh, invitation for being here, Brad and uh, for the invitation to the, our, our latex, latex uh, lectures. That's a, a, a very kind invitation. Wes Allen and, and Alice and, and uh, the SMU faculty appreciate the, the opportunity. And it's wonderful to share in this service of worship with so much wonderful music. That was a Stradivarius we were listening to. It really was. Amazing. Um, you know, these are troubled times. You don't need me to come down from Canada to tell you that. These are troubled times, and, uh, uh, and it's, it's troubled not just in terms of, uh, of nation. It's also troubled, troubled times in terms of the church. And what is really needed, I think, for, as we move ahead, is, is a much more vital sense of God and a much more... Uh, a vital sense of, of miracles. We, we need to be praying for some miracles. I think that's what we need to be doing. And many years ago, a book editor said to me, he said, you know, Paul, I think it was much easier to believe back in Bible times because miracles were so common. And I could understand where he was coming from because he had just been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and he was uncertain of his future. I wonder if he would say the same words today, 25 or 30 years later. He, he, um, his multiple sclerosis has not really advanced. He's taken medical care and, and uh, uh, he's exercised well and, and he's been very blessed. And, and I would want to say that that is a miracle. Uh, but perhaps he grew up with the understanding of miracle that I did. And maybe it's the definition that you learned in school or Sunday school about what is a miracle. Uh, a miracle, I was taught, is anything that you can't explain in any other way. Something you can't explain in any other way. You have no other way of counting for it, so it must be a miracle. Uh, we live in a, uh, an era now where where there are so many different perspectives. It's, it's the postmodern era is what they call it. And in the postmodern era, anything can be questioned and, and there are so many different perspectives and who's to say this is the right one or that is the right one? Sometimes it all seems relative. But I, I wonder if that definition of miracles needs to, to be thrown away now because if a miracle is anything that can't be explained in any other terms, 
Today, anything can be explained in other terms. There's always someone who's got enough. So, so what, what are we going to call miracles? What, how are we going to understand miracles for us today? And I want to give you a definition that I hope you will take away with you today. And I hope you will think about it through the week. A miracle, I think there's a much better definition. A miracle is any action of God. A miracle is any action of God. And we all need miracles. Uh, we may think that they, they don't happen. But you know, if, you're trained, if you train your mind and your heart to see miracles, you will see them all around. And if you can't believe that yet, I hope maybe by the end of our time this morning you will start to see what, what that might mean. But if you aren't open to miracles, you probably never will see them. And that's how it was back in Nazareth when Jesus went to his hometown congregation. It was the first time he had returned to his hometown congregation and he was preaching there and people were really excited and he opened up the scriptures and he read the scroll from Isaiah and it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim this, the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down and said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, e even in my reading it, he's saying, these words have come true because they are true of me. I am the one who has come to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, give sight to the blind, and make the oppressed free. But his sermon ends, you know, they were quite excited about that, feeling quite enthusiastic. But his sermon ends by saying words that they don't want to hear. He said, don't presume that you are saved just because you are from Israel. Don't presume that you are saved, he said. Because in the time of Elisha and Elijah, it, wasn't, it was Gentiles who were saved, not Israelites. Well, this infuriates the people, and suddenly these people who have known Jesus since he was a wee boy, they've seen him grow up. They've heard the miracles that he's done. And now when he's preaching before them, suddenly they, they turn hostile and they're filled with hatred and they take him out to a hilltop where there is a cliff and they are ready to throw him over. I'm glad there aren't hilltops here in case you are not pleased with my sermon. How do they move to hate so quickly? It's mind-boggling. These people loved him and suddenly they hate him. And is there something wrong with them? Well, there is. And what's wrong with them is also probably wrong with us. And what's wrong with them is a very simple word. It's sin. And their sin on this occasion is that they want to limit God. 
They want to limit God, and that's what infuriates them. They, they want to limit God because um, they want God only to save Israel. And Jesus is saying, no, consider the time of the prophets. Second, they want to limit God because they don't want to see God in Jesus, standing there before them, speaking. I guess we all have some tendency to want to limit Jesus. Sometimes it feels awkward to speak about Jesus to our neighbors, or sometimes we just don't like to have to rely on a savior. We'd rather rely on ourselves. Or we can limit God by bargaining. We can say, God, if you will give me this job, then I'll go to church every Sunday. That's a way of limiting God. Or what about the young woman who came into church to see her pastor? She said she was leaving the church. She said she can no longer believe in a God, a good God, who would allow evil. And she walked out of the church. Now, that, even, even that is a way of limiting God instead of trying to understand how, how God does relate to evil. But there are many ways in which we can limit God. When life turns ugly, when bad things happen to us, it is very easy for us to lose hope. And losing hope is a big way in which we limit God, we say, God, you can't do anything here. When Jesus reads the Bible and he announces that he fulfills God's word, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. He means that he is the answer that these very people in his hometown have been looking for. He is the answer to all of the promises that God has made. He's the fulfillment of God's promises of justice and mercy. And, you know, they hear him and they, they think that he's simply condemning them, that these words are words of judgment on them. But, in fact, these are words of liberation that he pronounces. He says that they are among the poor to whom he brings good news. They are among the captives, not least to sin and evil in their lives, captives whom he releases. They are among the blind, not least to seeing God's presence in their midst, and he's giving them sight. They are among the oppressed, not least they are oppressed by their own self-centeredness, their own focus only on themselves. There can be no joy. And he has come to release them. The same is true for us. Though most of us want God on our own terms, amazingly, God wants us on any terms. Even if it means coming to us in human form and dying on a cross. There's no stopping God when God is determined to save. God's message was not stopped when the people refused to hear what Jesus was preaching in the Nazareth synagogue. 
And God's message was not stopped when the crowd surrounded him and took him out on a hilltop and were prepared to throw him off a cliff. You know, we've heard this story so many times, but I think most of us have never considered this story to be a miracle story. It's a miracle story. And this is why. There he is. He's, he's, he's on the clifftop, surrounded by all of these angry people, filled with hatred for some reason. And what does the text say? Here's the miracle. But he passed through the midst of them and went away. But he passed through the midst of them and went away. How is it possible for a person surrounded by an angry, hate-filled crowd simply to pass through the midst of them and go away? It is only possible with the power of God. It is only an act of God that, that enables such a thing. It is what we would call a miracle. Nothing could prevent God from accomplishing God's purpose of salvation for these people. When it says that passing through the midst of them, he went on his way. What is his way? His way is to the cross. He's going to the cross to die for them, the very people who want to kill him, the very people who reject him, for you and for me. And he does that in order that we may never have to feel again that we are unacceptable, unworthy, alone, hopeless, or overcome by the troubles of the world. It's like what God says in Isaiah 55. This text is really an enactment of Isaiah 55, where God says, So shall my word be. It goes forth from my mouth and does not return to me empty or void, but accomplishes the very purpose for which I sent it. And here's Jesus preaching, and his word is going to accomplish the very thing that God had in mind. What do you need this morning? What do you need? Do you need your faith renewed? Are you concerned about a friend or a loved one? What miracle needs to happen in order for you to be reassured that God is with you, your rock, and no enemy can come between you and God. You know, I was preaching at my aunt's funeral a few months ago, and I was looking for a scripture reading that would seem to be appropriate. And my Bible opened on uh, Revelation 3.8, I think it is, um, Normally, if I'm looking for Jesus' words, I'm going to look in the Gospels, right? Uh, I don't know how many of us turn to the book of Revelation and expect to find Jesus' words, but there were Jesus' words. And Jesus said, uh, I have set before you an open door that no 
power can close. What a wonderful way of thinking of death for us. I have set before you an open door that no power can close. Isn't that wonderful? I think even that verse coming to me was a miracle. God speaks to us in miracles through through sermons, through music, through worship services, through pastors, through strangers. A miracle is any act of God, and any time that we experience something good in our lives, it is from God. God is the author of all good. Every time we experience good, it is God acting. So even now, whatever your need, Jesus speaks to you and says, I love you. You are mine. Put your burdens on me. I will take care of you. You have nothing, nothing to fear. I have set before you an open door and no power can close it. The gift of the Holy Spirit is upon us and and part of that means that the Holy Spirit is continually ministering to us, helping to provide what we need, giving us sustenance, giving us guidance if we seek it. And um, there's, there's another aspect of it, though. I think we tend to think of the, the Christian faith as, as intellectual ideas that we have to master or something. But in fact, the Christian faith is a power given to us in the Holy Spirit. And it is a power to do exactly what Jesus did in his sermon. It, it, it is to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. And in doing so, we are doing exactly what Jesus said. We are bringing good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, freeing the oppressed. The unity that we seek in these difficult times is a unity of all people and all religions and, and all colors. And it is beyond us, but it is not beyond the power of God. As Jesus said, as I am drawing all things to myself. I'm drawing all things to myself. And in that drawing, we can look around and see miracles around us. If a miracle is any action of God, then miracles happen more often than we would think. In 1938, George McLeod founded the, was, he was trying to found the Iona community. Some of you may know of it. It's an island off of Scotland. And, and he wanted to develop a religious community where uh, the chapel life would be central and they would all do chores and they would come together several times a day for, for music and for worship. And um, it, it would be a witness to the whole Christian world. In 1938, he had established the chapel, which was absolutely central for their but he only had the walls built and the, the war had broken out and he couldn't get any timber. And without timber, then he couldn't have the chapel finished and then he couldn't have his community and the whole thing was going to be up. And so he was praying constantly. And uh, a tragedy happened. Uh, that is a, a Canadian merchant ship carrying timbers was sunk. Uh, but those timbers washed ashore on a neighboring island. 
And one of the, the men on that island phoned up George and he said, George, do you still need those timbers for your chapel? He said, yes, I do. He said, well, they're, they're over here on the beach. Just come and get them. I don't think it was a miracle. It was not God's acting that that merchant marine ship was sunk. But it was, God can work all things for good. And George got those, those timbers, built the chapel. His community was able to start and worship all the way through the war and was a blessing to, to Christianity. After the war, he was interviewed by a number of journalists. And he told them how he had prayed, and this was the miracle. And, and one of the journalists said, well, Dr. McLeod, don't you think that that was just a coincidence? And he said, well, it could have been. But I think that miracles happen all the more often when you pray. A young woman in our congregation, I think it's really important. I mean, miracles do happen. They, they happen for, for communities like that. They, they also, on a social level, they also happen at an individual level. And Karen is a member of our, our church back home. And she, um, uh, she had a very bad year last year leading up to Christmas. Uh, her father had died to, for whom she would, uh, she was very close to her father. Uh, her daughter was seriously ill, a number of things were weighing on her. She, it was the Sunday before Christmas, and she had the family coming for dinner. And so it, she wanted to go to church, but then she thought, oh, I've, I've got so many things. She instead went to the grocery store and, uh, to get food for the dinner later in the day. And a man came up to her while she was in the spice section, and he, he had... Uh, he looked very much like her father, she said, you know, like he had uh, a heavy European accent. He had a, a, a heavy woolen coat and a, a traditional kind of hat. And the coat was down long. And uh, he said to her with a thick accent, he said, uh, do you work here? And she, she said, no, I don't, uh, but can I help you? And he said, well, I'm looking for margarine. And she said, well, margarine, well, that would be in the dairy section. And and he said, no, margarine. And she said, oh, you mean majorum. Oh, I... So she looked on the spice section where she was and found this majorum and she put it in his hand. And then she was surprised. He, he, he clasped her arm with a, a real vigor. It, it was identical, she said, to the, the way in which her father on his deathbed had grabbed her arm. And he said to her, oh, you know, we are ministered to by many angels every day. And today, you are my angel, he said. And then he did something that completely shocked her. He raised his hand and put it on her head. And he blessed her. He said, may you have the best year that you have ever had. Well, she broke down in tears and went around the end of the aisle. And when she came back, she couldn't find him. But she was convinced that, that this was a miracle, that God had, had sent this, this man who looked like her father, could, could well have been in, in the spirit. Christ had come to her and ministered to her in a powerful way. She, she witnessed that. She gave that testimony. And now she's going into theology school. But we all need to witness to the miracles in our lives. There are many miracles, but we have to be willing to speak about them. And in speaking about them, we will see a miracle, and the miracle will be peace 
in our nation and renewal of the church and Christ drawing all things to himself. May it be so. Amen.